Hello and welcome to Pan Society Radio, your home for modern animism. I'm your host and founder of Pan Society, Laura Giles, and I have a guest today, Dr. Claisi Alsar, who is an associate professor at the University of Nevada and author of the memoir, No Sir, which is hot off the presses. So this book chronicles his experiences of abandonment, addiction, and workplace marginalization. And he and I are gonna talk about something we never addressed here at Pan Society, so spirituality in the workplace. And now that I'm talking about it, it seems like a no-brainer, right? We take our spirituality with us everywhere. It's not just for holy days. But before uh, we get to my guests, let's give thanks to the ancestors and the elements. Acknowledge the element of earth and thank you for the firm foundation upon which we live and the abundant food that you give us every day. Thank you for all the wonderful sensuous things that makes our lives possible and meaningful. Acknowledge the element of air and thank you for carrying our prayers to our ancestors and helping spirits and bringing us their messages in the form of intuition and dreams. Ask that you help us connect to our unconscious childlike energy that we all have that we're always uh, gives us a source of inspiration to ourselves and others. And acknowledge the element of fire to help stir our passions in positive connecting ways and gives us the will to see our ideas through. Acknowledge the element of water and thank you for helping us flow with the rhythm of life. And I give thanks to the water for the life-giving properties that it brings to all creatures. I acknowledge our loving, helping ancestors and angels who are always looking out for us. I thank you for being here with us today to guide our footsteps. And I ask that you speak to us in words and symbols that we understand so that we never miss your messages. I send you love and gratitude for all that you do every day. And thanks to everybody who's tuning in, who shares our podcast, asks questions and comments. All of that helps our Google rating. And if you'd like to help even more, please review us on iTunes. Um, so without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Kwaisi Alsar. Thank you. So let's uh, start by getting your backstory on how you became interested in spirituality in the workplace. It's not something you hear a lot about. <clears throat> well, you know, the workplace can be a challenging environment, right? Just under normal circumstances. <clears throat> under normal circumstances, um, there, there can be challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for those of us who see work as career, um, there is an, you know, a, 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 an intention to progress and to get to higher levels of authority. And sometimes there are barriers. There are roadblocks, there are things that either are exist within our own development and or um, things that exist within others who, you know, may not see us as being worthy. So through those challenges, you know, I really sought to understand how to use my spirituality in the workplace. Uh, when I became an academic, um, it was real clear to me that, that that was going to be the focus of my research. But from a practical perspective, um, you know, I've always had these workplace battles, these workplace, uh, you know, some workplaces are, are, are toxic, right? You've got social hostility, you've got mm-hmm. instability. You know, why don't we treat each other well, you know, in mm-hmm. the workplace? And, and I, what I realized, because, you know, my goal was to become a leader and to move up the, 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 the chain from a leadership perspective. What I, what I realized was the importance of leadership when it came to the workplace context, the climate, the culture within 
uh, the work environment. And so I started to study leadership in parallel with workplace spirituality. So I think in the USA, that's, this is my perspective and I, maybe, maybe I'm living in a box, but it seems like most people kind of keep their spirituality to themselves and it's like kind of off limits outside of church. Um, so that's why I say it's something we don't talk. It's something I don't talk about with people because it's kind of like a hands off. It's none of your business. So how do you, how do you navigate that when people have all different kinds of spiritualities? Well, let me first uh, address your question by differentiating religion from spirituality. Okay, good. Yeah, let's do okay. that. I see them as separate and distinct uh, uh, areas of focus. Okay. Now, one would argue that it's it it's difficult to have religion without spirituality, right? I, I think that's a valid argument, mm -hmm. but it's absolutely possible to have spirituality without religion. Absolutely. Yes. Totally agree with that. Okay. Uh -huh. You know, and, and to boot, I've seen people who claim to be religious act in ways that are inconsistent with spirituality, right? I agree so we, with that too. <laughs> so, so there's a, <clears throat> an, a, it's important to distinguish between the two. And so workplace spirituality is defined in both the management literature as well as the organizational literature, and now even in psychology, as consisting of three distinct factors. First factor, meaningful and purposeful work. Second factor, a sense of community. Third factor of workplace spirituality is the alignment of individual values with organizational values. So to the extent that an individual can find uh, and sustain both meaning and purpose in the work that they do and at the place that they work, we've achieved the first level of workplace spirituality. Got it, that, that's just too intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> I think if all businesses operated in that way, then then I would be out of a job. So I'm I'm a therapist. <laughs> well, interestingly, there are organizations that seek to create the condition where people can experience workplace spirituality. I've worked with some. Starbucks is one. Ah, okay. Yeah, they they if if. <clears throat> You know, if you really look closely at their values, their values are purely spiritual. As you know, um, I did some leadership training for Starbucks supervisors uh, one time, and uh, I was amazed at the the work that they do, uh, the good that they do, right outside of the context of the workplace. That 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 really taps into to the spirit. Uh, of the workplace, you know, and they don't advertise it, you know, mm -hmm. the, the kind of, 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 of charitable work and outreach that they do. They don't use it as a marketing scheme. Um, they do it because it's the right thing to do. Their, their values are such that humanity, love, and humility sort of are foundational to them. So that's clicking with me because that's an example that I can, I can see. Um, 
I don't know if this is true everywhere, but quite frequently when I go into Whole Foods, it's a pleasant experience. People are happy. They seem to be glad to be there. They seem to be glad to, to help you out. And it's not just like, you know, some cold transaction where you just take their money or they just take your money and you just go. It, it feels like a really, it feels very different than most shopping experiences. Yes, I would totally agree. And Whole Foods definitely has that kind of a value structure. So what if you're a person, who, you're an employee and you don't work in that kind of organization? Is there something that you can do to bring it to your day-to-day -day work life? Well, well, I think one of the first things that we should examine is our choice of careers, right? Oh, very good. Yes, I agree. Right? Yeah. You know, you know, too often we think about work as, as a job and, you know, a, to your point, a transactional thing that we have to do in order to pay the bills. And, and that's true. There, there's definitely an extrinsic, you know, there's extrinsic importance to work. There's economic importance to work. But if we view work as a career and we view work through the lens of, let's say, work as a calling, then we're able to step back and say, okay, what is it that I'm good at? Um, what are my talent? What are my God-given gifts? What are those talents that lie within me that allow me to excel? Um, and if we can objectively come to some understanding of what those innate born-in gifts are, then we can choose occupations that are aligned with our strengths. And if we do that, we may find ourselves never working a day in our lives. I totally agree with that. Cause I think uh, I just had this conversation yesterday with a client who hates her job. <laughs> and, and she's in a, I have a lot of clients who are in high paying jobs that they absolutely hate and they can't wait to not do them. And I couldn't imagine doing that. I love my job. I love going there every day. If it's a challenge, I am always learning new things to be better at what I do because I love it, not because it's a requirement. And I can't even imagine retiring. It would be like, I, I, I don't know, I stopped living if I did that. So how do you, what are your thoughts on how, I think a lot of people grow up with the idea either from their parents or culture or whatever, that you have to make this much money, you have to have this position in order to feel good about yourself, to be worthy. How do you go from that mindset? Because it's so programmed in our culture to, no, I'm gonna, not necessarily, I'm gonna live my bliss because I think there's problems with that too. Because um, you do have to eat. <laughs> um, how do you go from that to, to saying, no, I'm gonna have a purpose for work? Well, I, I think, let me start with the first, um, question that you raise, you know, uh, about people who hate their job, right? So I think it's important to, to make sure that we're clear on what is it that we actually hate. And I don't necessarily like to use the word hate, but we'll use it for, for, <laughs> for this purpose. Um, is it the work or is it the environment? Because there's a distinction between meaning and purpose in the work that we do and meaning and purpose at the place that we work, 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, I had this, a similar situation at one point in my career where I thought I, I hated my job, but what it was, I hated my boss. Ah. <laughs> right? Because he created a toxic environment. Mm-hmm. And when you have to go repeatedly go into a toxic environment, you know, you, you, kind, you can kind of conflate that with, you know, the work that you do. Right, right. And so uh, once I got clear that it wasn't the work, it was the environment, it was the leader that I was up under, then I had an opportunity to make some different choices. So what do you do if you have a toxic boss? Because that's well, common. Some, yeah, that's tough. I've had them, right? And, 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 and I would say that it really depends. It depends on the organizational culture. It depends on, um, you know, the extent to which you're willing to level with your boss. What do you mean? Level? The, well, leveling means, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. You know, uh, a toxic boss I have and, and treats me poorly. And so I'm going to have a conversation with him. I'm going to have a high stakes conversation because I've had enough. I've hit the wall. I can't take no. So I sit down with him and I say, you know, I really like working here, um, but I get the feeling that you don't want me to be here. I get the feeling that I'm doing something that's causing you to treat me poorly. And I really want to know what it is that I'm doing that's causing you to treat me poorly because I want to change that. I want us to have a great working relationship and I want to feel good about myself and and the work that I do. So please tell me what I need to do or what I need to change so that we can have a good working relationship. Does that work for you? In some instances, it has. It's in some instances, it's completely turned the situation around. Yeah, I think I think that can if you're dealing with a healthy person. But if you've yes. got somebody who's got borderline personality disorder, narcissism, they are going to whip you. <laughs> well, that's yeah. The flip side <laughs> of that is you get more of that toxicity. How dare you? Right. Right. Say that to me. Yeah. Right? So there's a risk in leveling with your boss. The next thing would be to take it above the boss. And I've done that before too, right? I've taken the issue to my boss's boss. And, you know, and and I would imagine that that would work in some situations, but Mm -hmm. in my experience, it didn't. Mm -hmm. Because my boss's boss just went back and told my boss what I said. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got a healthy workplace in order for these healthy strategies to work. Yes, you do. And, and, and that's why a lot of my consulting and even some of my research is targeted at the organizational level. Yeah. Because I know that if the organization isn't, well, well A, doesn't have values or has, you know, mission statements and, and, and vision statements that they don't live, right. you know, these placards on the wall. Yeah. Um. You know, there's got to be a willingness to reconcile that. And if there's not, then there's nothing for me to do. 
you right. know, yeah. either as a consultant or as an employee in a system like that, other than find another job. So who do you work for as a consultant? Like who calls you and say, help, help us? <laughs> oh, any number of organizations. I've done work with uh, County Library. I've done work with uh, different uh, restaurant brands, um, integrated uh, resorts here in Las Vegas. I've done consulting with uh, even a, a sign company um, that, that does these uh, 3M signs. They wanted me to come in and teach on, on ethical leadership. Uh -huh. And oftentimes these, 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 um, these lectures or these presentations leads to more questions. And, you know, for example, one organization had values, but they had not extrapolated those values into competencies that informed their selection process, mm, okay. that informed their training and development process, or ultimately their performance management process. Mm -hmm. So I, I've worked with organizations who wanted, you know, a complete sort of alignment um, in terms of, of having those values being not just talked about on the wall, but, but in the selection, in the training and development, and in ultimately the performance management. Because if, if, you, if you don't measure what you value, um, you have to question whether you truly value it. Mm. Right? So if you say like you value respect, but respect, but the principle of respect is nowhere in your people right. management processes, then I have to wonder, do you truly value respect? So how would you measure that? Uh, well, you, 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 you can measure selection through um, predictability and validity studies. You know, you, 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 you can link what you are, you know, basing your interview questions on and your hiring decisions on in terms of values to outcomes, turnover. Um, Got it. Okay. Performance. I mean, there's many outcome variables that you can test in that way. So it, it sounds like you're saying spirituality in the workplace is about values and personal responsibility and kindness, um, those kinds well, of things. It's definitely about values, but it's also about, you know, I, we haven't talked about a sense of community. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Because we spend a lot of time in the workplace. Right. Right? I, I mean, a tremendous amount of our lives are spent working. So, you know, what the research tells us is that, you know, more and more people are seeking community in the workplace, a sense of belonging, a kind of interconnectedness. Um, you know, they, 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 they want to be um, um, connected with others in ways that create this, 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 this sense of community. Um, I think in our, many of our neighborhoods across the country, we've kind of lost that, you know, here in Las Vegas, you know, uh, I will tell you that I've been here for nine years and I've lived in three different communities and in every community, everybody's got their windows, their blinds pulled, nobody out, comes outside, nobody talks to each other. 
I mean, it's, it's the worst I've ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, societally, we've, we've lost some when it comes to community and, and, and just having a sense of community. So oftentimes people seek it in the workplace. And, and I would argue that organizations, more specifically leaders, have a responsibility to create an environment where people can get that. How do you do community if you grew up in a family that didn't have it? So if your family is abusive, y'all don't talk to each other, you know, nobody loves each other. You can't wait to get away from these people. How do you, how, do you even know what that is? You may not, but, but I think at, at a very basic level, self-determination theory tells us that we have psychological needs. And one of those needs sure. is relatedness. Sure. We need to be able to relate to, to, to others on some level. So in the workplace, you know, it's, 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 it's an ideal condition because we spend so much time together because we have common goals and common, you know, targets that, that we all need to hit and we need each other, we're, we're, we're interdependent on each other. So there is a, the conditions are there for people to, to, to get a sense of community at, at work, they are there. Now the leader is, is primary to that. I agree. Right, now each individual obviously is, is accountable to that, but it's, it's really the leader that sets the tone and the mood for the kind of environment um, that we work in. So do you feel like there is a greater challenge for certain populations? And I'm intentionally vague. (laughs) Uh, Demographically? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because um, I do. Uh, the workplace is forever changing, right? The demographics in the workplace are forever changing. Mm-hmm. Therefore, leadership capabilities and leadership skill are, are in a constant state of, or uh, there's a constant need to, to be on top of that. Um, I think that I've operated restaurants in rural parts of the country country club restaurants, as we call them, right? Because mm-hmm. you can set your watch by, you know, what time people are coming in, what time, they're, you know, what time business is going to peak, what time it's going to fall right. off. Yeah. Everything is very consistent. And then I've operated restaurants in urban environments where whew, it, there's no telling, right? When, when the guests are coming. Rest assured that it's not a normal peak for dinner because you got a second peak later on in at night so, so there's different workplace, uh, or I, I should say business um, um, metrics that, that are going to be different, that create a different type of workplace. But everybody wants res- to be respected, sure. whether you're urban or whether you are suburban or whether you are rural. Every, everyone wants to feel like they belong. Most people wake up in the morning and go to work with an intention of doing a good job. Yeah. Right. 
So, so they're, they're, the conditions are, are really the same. Culturally, the way people interact with each other may be differently, may be different, but the needs are the same. The psychological needs are, are the same. Do you feel like there are those cultural differences create barriers to connection and belonging? Well, when, when you start to, they, they can, but they don't have to, right? If it's a principle-based approach, if it's a, a values-based approach, then there, there, there's no reason why there should be those differences. I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> now, when conflict arises, it, it's incumbent upon the leader to manage that conflict. And to do it in a way that's fair and equitable and that, you know, understands the different perspectives, particularly if you're dealing with a multicultural, multiracial workforce. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, not, it's, it's not as easy. And I've dealt with, with situations like that. But it, it, it all goes, to me, it all goes back to the principles or the values that you're living by in that work. So when you get pushback, because it sounds like it benefits everybody to do this. Everybody is respected. It's nice and calm. When you get pushback, what is that usually about? Like people don't want to do this. Well, you know, there, compatibility, here's my philosophy on that. You, you know, that's why you do, you have selection processes that you have. You hire people that not just have great job fit like capabilities, but also have organizational fit capabilities. So you, mm -hmm. you, on the front end, you test people for their values. And so you're less likely to have that, you know, be uh, an ongoing problem. But yeah, it, 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 it pops up. And, and at, the, at the end of the day, you know, we've, compatibility is a condition for if you can't get along with us, then perhaps this isn't the right place for you to work. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, this, this idea that one rotten apple is going to spoil the whole bunch isn't going to happen if I'm the leader. Right. Right. So either you adjust yourself accordingly from the, a values perspective or you go look for another job, or I help you go look for another job. I mean, it's, it's sort of those three choices. And, and you know, th that's why leadership is, 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 is so critical. You know, leadership isn't always a soft thing, right? You know, if you wanna maintain a healthy culture, you've gotta, you've gotta manage the, you know, any kind of insurgency that could disrupt that culture. I want everybody to succeed. I, I don't want anybody to fail. I want to bring everybody along. And I work with you if, if you got the right attitude and the right perspective. If you don't care and, 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 and you're disruptive and combative, you, know, you, you probably need to find somewhere else to work. Mm -hmm. You seem real passionate about this. Uh, what is your story? What's your experience? What, what makes this <laughs> your thing? What drove you here? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I came up in a restaurant system, a restaurant company, 
started out as an employee, was fortunate enough, blessed enough to become a senior leader um, in, that, in that organization. Spent 23 years doing this. So I, I got to experience what it's like uh, to climb the ladder internally against toxic leaders, against, uh. you, know, you know, organizational, uh, you know, culture, or I should say regional climates that were not conducive to my success. Um, you know, as, as, as an African-American male in the corporate world, um, I had some extreme challenges with what I perceived as workplace discrimination. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's easy to cut and run, right? But, but you know, um, and I didn't for 23 years because my theory is, is that it's, it's not going to be much different. Like you, you got to figure out how to work through this yeah. and you got to figure out how to defeat this. Now, there are times when the pressure becomes too great. For example, um, I quit my job, $200,000 a year. I was making, you know, big money in the middle of a recession. I quit because I couldn't take it anymore. Mm. Um, so there are break points, right? And maybe I stayed too long <laughs> because the cumulative effect of dealing with, you know, marginalization and discrimination had a, took a toll on me. Right. Um, but you know, it didn't it didn't destroy me. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, through through the spiritual cultivation that I had been doing all these years, that's what enabled me, and that's what my book is about. My book is really about the how spiritual cultivation can help one to transcend abandonment issues, addiction issues, workplace discrimination issues. Because along the way, you know, I was constantly working on developing my spiritual faculty. Constantly, constantly. And I'm not talking about church per Mm -hmm. se, although I did spend three years um, in Christianity, and I talk about it in, in the book, um, I mean, deeply embedded in Christianity. And uh, I, was, I was even a chaplain for a couple of years, you know, working, volunteering in hospitals and, and, you know, but see, I'm the type of person, I ask a lot of questions. I dig deeper. I want to understand why. I want to understand what's underneath what we believe. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I come to, to realize is, is that you know, and over time, I've dabbled in in Hinduism, a little bit in Buddhism. Um, you know, um, n- n- New Age thought. Um, what what I've come to, to 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 understand is all religions are built on philosophy. Like philosophy existed long before religion did. So when I start asking questions, you know, in 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 the Christian context about different things, you know, I was kind of told don't worry about that. You know, you believe this because it's written in this one book and this is what you believe. And, and I just kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until I found that, you know, um, what satisfied my inner need for truth. And I don't, I don't, you know, downplay Christianity. I don't downplay anybody's religion. 
you know, we're all stri striving and seeking to find, you know, spiritual truth and, and, and to find the kind of peace, inner peace that gives, gives us life. So I, I don't, you know, but my experience in Christianity wasn't necessarily a good one. Mm. It, or I, I shouldn't say it wasn't a good one. <clears throat> I'm not, I'm no longer <laughs> in that space. Mm -hmm. Let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that, um, so I, I scoped out your website and, <laughs> and I saw that you do heart math. Um, I think that's a really interesting and uh, useful segue. So can you tell our audience what that is and how, how those intersect? Well, <clears throat> you know, as you study spirituality and particularly the ancient Egyptian systems of spiritual cultivation, you find the, that there is a, um, an intense focus put on the heart. The heart is a physical uh, organ, <clears throat> but also the heart as a spiritual entity. And, you know, what heart math is about is it's about the science of heart rhythm and its relationship to, to emotions, right? The extent to which we can manage our emotions the extent to which we can control our reactions, our emotional reactions, the extent to which we can manage the energy that we carry in our body, <clears throat> it gives us life. And, 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 I, and I'm talking life more abundantly in the physical sense, because much of the illness that we see in today's society, although the food is killing us big time, it's the stress. It's the, it's the energy that we carry within our bodies. And, you know, heart math is, is about the science of understanding the relationship between the heart, the brain, and our well-being, and giving us techniques to manage and to control that energy that we carry within us. So I'm still looking for the link. <laughs> okay. So maybe, between, I, maybe I missed it. Between heart math and, and spirituality? Yes. Well, spirituality is also, if you go back into, I mean, some of the most ancient of philosophies, you know, the principle of vibration. I'm sure you've heard of the principle of, yes. of vibration. Uh -huh. Speaks directly to, to the heart and the energy that we carry within our bodies. Mm -hmm. So it's really about managing energy. Heart math is just a way to, to, to scientifically see it and to track our progress because we look at this heart rate variation number. And as we work to become more coherent with heart math techniques, we are able to see it from a scientific lens, the progress that we're making, uh, in addition to the increase in well-being that we, that we feel and control that we feel when it comes to the energy in our bodies. So let me let me give that back to you from a Qigong perspective to see if my understanding is what, what you're saying. Okay. So in, in um, Chinese medicine, the heart is, is the uni universal harmonizer. Perfect. If your heart is good, everything's good. 
Perfect. And so it's holistic. It's, you know, if everything's good, your spirituality is good. Your mood That's is it. good. Your health is good. Everything's good. So it's it. kind of, I, I see that as a shortcut because, you know, it's efficient. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Okay. We're on the same page. Couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. And and you see that same philosophy is consistent with what the ancient Egyptians believed about. Yeah. Yeah. Now they had other things that, that, that they believed in terms of what happens to the heart after you die and all that. But, but on, on, you know, it, it really was about the heart, um, you know, and, and that's really about the energy that we carry. So you're, yeah. you're absolutely. Yeah. So thank you, Dr. Alster, for your sharing your story. Um, can you tell our listeners where to find you and where to get your book? Uh, well, my book is on Amazon. Uh -huh. uh, no Sir is the title, Breaking the Chains That Bind Your Spirit. And it's available, uh, you know, in Kindle form. It's a, or I should say, uh, as an ebook, it's also available uh, as, a, as a paperback. Uh -huh. Cool. Great and information. Absolutely. And, and my website... My website is uh, koesiasar.com. Uh, I can also be reached at the University of, of Nevada, Las Vegas. Okay. And can you spell that website for us, please? Sure. Uh, K-W-E-I-S-I-A-U-S-A-R.com. Awesome. So that's our show for this week. If you want to join us virtually for a Moon Circle, check out our online calendar on our Facebook or MeWe page. Everything we do is about uh, connection, self-discovery, and community. And I think spirituality goes with us everywhere. And growing that heart connection is key to a whole life. So thanks again, Dr. Alsar. And thanks, everybody, for joining us for this edition for Pan Society Radio. My thanks to the Elements and Ancestors. So grateful for you all being here and tuning in. See you next week.